from WeFirst and Goal17 Media. Welcome to Lead with We. I'm Simon Mannering, and each week I talk with purposeful business and thought leaders about the revolutionary mindsets and methods you can use to build your bottom line and a better future for all of us. Today I'm joined by Ryan Moore, who started printing t-shirts for his punk rock band and now is founder and CEO of Ryanet and All Made Apparel a socially conscious, eco-friendly apparel line that he started with a group of pioneering printers committed to better serving the planet and ending the cycle of poverty in supply chains. Ryan, welcome to Lead With We. Hey, Simon, thank you so much for having me. Great to be on. Ryan, I mean, you've, that's quite the journey. So let's start at the beginning. Tell me, like, you left high school and, like, punk rock band, were you any good? How'd it go? Like, tell us a bit about that. You know, I think it's, all young musicians dream to make it. My idols were Blink-182 and Green Day, so they were they were huge. So we sounded probably similar between the two of those two bands in the late 90s, early 2000s. I learned how to screen print shirts because we had our first concert. I actually had a class in high school. I think it was part of the home ec course. And my teacher failed that part of my course because I, I was learning with a hand-cut stencil, kind of archaic mode of screen printing and cut my hands open, got blood on the shirt. So we weren't a death metal band, so the blood on the shirt didn't work out. But he let me... But that's so authentic, the blood on the shirt. That's the original screen print, but yes. <laughs> yeah, I, it wasn't an actual screen, I mean, screen print. So he let me come back after school and print again before our first show. And it was amazing to see that design. The name of our band was not long after that design kind of pop up on a shirt and people actually buy them and wear them at school the next day. So that kind of led to about four years after high school, chasing the punk rock dream. I think as an entrepreneur, being in a band is probably the best form of education. I always say I went to the university of rock and roll because like, think about it. You have to learn business. You have to learn self-promotion. You have to learn how to talk. You have to be not care if you're performing in front of 2,000 people or in front of the bartender who's booing you because you got booked at a heavy metal heavy metal bar or biker bar and you're you know a, basically a ascension of a pop punk boy band and so it's it, it teaches you a lot about business and a lot about life and putting yourself out there and not being afraid to fail so I'm I'm really glad I got that experience and it led me into the actual world of business and doing it from a, a little bit more. I guess you would say new school way of doing things uh, as a pretty young person. I started started in business at 23. It's really interesting what you say, a pop punk boy band. I mean, what a great kind of like platform to become an entrepreneur. As you say, you've got you've to wear all hats, whether you like it or not. And so how did that kind of evolve into what Ryanet became? Like, I know you started doing classes for other printers and it suddenly became a business that took on a life of its own. Yeah, the, I never really wanted to be a screen printer. I never thought that even starting a screen print supply company would be in the cards. Wanted to do the music thing, but I think always wanting to not have to work a nine to five job set me onto an entrepreneurial path. And even with our band, we did all of our own self promotion, a lot of our own records. We had a record label towards the end, but we did a lot of it ourselves, kind of DIY ethos. And so other bands in that same genre would be like, hey, that's awesome. You guys do your own shirts. You make your own merch. Can you show me how to do that? So we eventually started selling as an opportunity, business opportunity, selling other bands the ability to make their own shirts, which then led to starting an eBay store, which led to you know my dad asking me to, to go to an internet marketing seminar on how to build your own online commerce business, You know, kind of like a really, really archaic version of uh, Shopify. 
back in 2004, which led to starting a business that was called Ryonet and now is uh, RyonetScreenPrinting.com. And one, it is the largest screen printing supply website in the world, which was, was awesome. I think the screen printing process is a very creative process. It, a lot of people start in that process through music. Uh, but at that time, it was a very interesting part of the industry and learning a lot about the apparel industry now, being an apparel manufacturer, the, the decoration and the apparel industry really came in, into its own right here in the US. And it was really driven by art and music. And then sports kind of piggyback on that through the 70s and 80s. And it became a thing. And then it became a worldwide thing. And then it became a thing that got outsourced. And so when I got into it, we were through that first wave of outsourcing. The first thing to get outsourced really was the garment and the printer, the mass print house. And so it was really negative industry. But looking at it through the lens of entrepreneurship and through punk rock, we kind of put a, a different spin on it and put a lot new life into it. And really, really over the past, we've been in business now for 18 years, have insourced a lot of that production back into smaller businesses versus the large print houses that were back in the day. No, it's it's really interesting that you sort of stepped into this instinctively. I mean, you've got to tell me, what is the biggest glaring gap in your knowledge when you started out where you're like, oh my God, how did I miss this? This really hurt us and took us, it was a hard lesson to learn. P&Ls. P&Ls? Profit, yeah. and, <laughs> profit and loss statements. And ironically, we never lost money, but it just was knowing how to run a business and where your money was coming from, how to invest in things. I think a lot of, you know, a lot of small business owners that just they look at that side and just like it's it comes after. And then knowing how to do business at a bigger level now, I wish I would have known a little bit more about that, you know, starting out. But made some beautiful mistakes, and they all end up working. And you know, we always are only a part of the road that we came from. So always grateful for that. Yeah, you're right. Beautiful mistakes. I mean, it's the right mindset to have because no one escapes in their entrepreneurial journey. And we've got a lot of entrepreneurs, social enterprises listening to the podcast. Is there What advice would you give somebody who wants to start a company? They have that instinct. What would be the, you know, the piece of advice you'd give them that really made the biggest difference to Ryanet? There's, there's a lot. I think the, there's always the cliche advice of like, you know, do something that doesn't feel like work or you're passionate about. I think that finding a unique way to serve a, a market in an industry and a way to communicate the channel is so important. When starting a new business now, it's like finding the channel of what you're communicating from a marketing perspective and what you're selling and making sure that that channel is not too crowded. A lot of people want to just, we've had a lot of people try to compete with us and both on the screenprinting.com side and the Ryanet side, screenprinting.com uh, or the all made side, now that we're in the blank apparel business. And without that unique way to talk and then the unique way to back that talking with a sale of something, then you're just, you're in a much more crowded space. You know, the, the blue ocean concept, you're in a much redder ocean. That journey from, you know, punk rock band to having a successful business like Ryanet, that doesn't automatically point to doing good, a socially conscious, eco-conscious business. How did that come about? I mean, how did All Made start? And, you know, was that something that you always felt was part of who you were? Or when you saw a need, did you show up differently? How did that journey begin? It's a great question. And it happened. The, the foundation was laid very young in my career. So it was not even, we weren't even a year in business. We, I started in the first quarter of 2004 
And in January, January 31st, 2005, my brother was killed in a car accident, uh, just like that. And it ha- I was at work. It happened. Uh, you know, the, the people that were working with me at the time, they're still at the company today. And they were all there. It was, it was just a very, for anyone who's ever gone through loss or a tragic loss of somebody really close to you, that, that was impactful. And he was a, a mission-driven guy. Uh, he was, I know I was the kind of the black sheep of the family, you know, didn't go to college, didn't have a career, didn't, you know, career path, was a punk rocker, didn't kind of follow the way I was raised up, but he definitely did. And so reading his journals and what he wrote about life and God and bigger purpose really, and, and processing that loss. I mean, the first year was I just poured everything into the business. It was like the personal side and life was just a blur and everything was focused on the business. But at, coming out of that blur, it was like, what's this all for? And so he had a big purpose in life and I kind of took a lot in a different way, you know, a lot of what he did about caring for people. There was something that he wrote in a journal that, that's, you know, he was very religious and, uh, and believed you know, in, in a higher God and, and everything of that nature. I take a little bit more grandiose view of it, but he wrote down something that was very impactful for me. It was like, said that in the Bible, I can't remember the verse in, the, in that it says, nothing shall pass between earth and heaven. You know, you can only go with, you know, your soul or whatever, you, you know, you can't take worldly possessions with you. And he's like, I don't necessarily believe that's true because people pass. And so I choose to spend my time here with people, you know, showing them love and showing them, you know, purpose and meaning in life. And that was a really big thing. I thought that if you could do that through business, starting out with your team and your community, and then going into your supply chain, that, that can mean something. And a business can really affect a lot of, a lot of people in a beautiful way. And so that's kind of where the seeds were planted. It took a, it took a lot of processing and a lot of development out of that, you know, dealing with anger and uh, issues from that experience and just growing up, I was young, you know, and so it wasn't really until the, I became a father five years later that it started to click in a different sense. So, it is interesting how kids kind of heighten that awareness of the need to play a more purposeful role, but firstly, so sorry for the loss of your brother. Um, and so obviously you're in the, you know, apparel business, you'd had this successful screen printing business, but that doesn't necessarily you know, inspire everyone to go and retool and launch a new business and and take on the industry and try and do things differently. So why All Made? Why Haiti? How did that come about? Yeah, the title that I kind of go by now is CEO and, you know, Simon Sinek does a great job. Like, what does a E do? You know, what's a, what's an executive do? You know, you have the CFO, finance officer, you have the COO, the operating officer, what's the E? So he, you know, I think he, in, in a book, he made a pitch for like, you should be the vision officer, or you should be. And I think that E for me stands for entrepreneur, because that is a core part of a business. It's not you know, great. You have to, you have to be entrepreneurial as a business, even an old business, new business, you got to find a way new old businesses have to find a way to do it successfully too, just like new businesses have to find a way to be successful being an entrepreneur. And so being an entrepreneur, being always entrepreneur, looking for new opportunities, we basically 
built out the supply chain. The first 10 years of business was really about finding that niche and then building a supply chain that made it work. So we vertically integrated our business from making the screens to making the equipment that people print on to manufacturing ink and eco-friendly chemicals. And we took it away. We had an eco-friendly like concept of it because I, you know, not researching the apparel side, just the printing side, it's a very wasteful industry. We, We use a lot of water. There's a lot of waste. The main ink that we print on in the U.S. is called Plastisol, so it's made of petroleum and plastic. It doesn't feel great. Uh, there's a lot of crappy shirts that get, because the prints are so bad on them, they get thrown away or used as you know towels. So we had an eco-friendly, uh, eco-friendly part of Ryanet and ScreenPrinting.com you know, after about our 10-year anniversary, which we had it, we made a really cool 10-year anniversary video. And one of the pillars in that video was we want to create a greener industry. And so starting water-based print lines and, you know, chemicals made from soy base and from citrus-based enzymes versus petroleum or solvent base was really a way to do that. And I think that one of my mentors in screen printing that kind of helped that come to reality was he taught me a lot about the printing process and probably the person I learned the most about the physical part of printing. And he had a lot of lot of health issues from the chemicals that he was exposed to throughout the last 30 years, 40 years of printing. They used to use very harsh solvents. And we always used to say like screen printers that have been printing for like 34 years aren't all there, but it's literally like the fumes and everything they were building. And he unfortunately had a really bad, he had a whole drum of chemical spill on him, which really affected him long-term and it ended up uh, damaging his liver to the point of which he had some liver problems and didn't end up making it. So that was another catalyst for me of like, hey, we can do this better. And I, the next generation, my kids, myself, I don't want to be one of those people that had to experience those types of chemicals and stuff. So eco-friendly was a huge part about it. And then the shirt itself is another thing. You know, when you're helping people, we've helped over 100,000 people start and successfully grow a screen printing business. And they're all printing shirts. So being an entrepreneur is like, oh, looking at that shirt, maybe we could make that one day. And the, the, the way that All Made was started was a, the seed was like, maybe we can make a shirt. Maybe we can make a better shirt, you know, that could be, you know, more eco-friendly. But does the world need another t-shirt company? Like, how did you... It did not. You could do something differently. <laughs> I mean, it seemed like, you know, as you said, a blank is just a blank T-shirt. You're in the blank business. There are so many T-shirt manufacturers out there. What made you think that you could do it differently? Is it, was it the sustainability side of it? No, and that's why we didn't do it for so long. Is because, A, there were so many of them out there. And, B, I didn't really do the research on, like, how expensive it would be to start and how hard it would be to start. I just knew it would be expensive and hard. I just knew that we could focus on other areas that were not as competitive or costly to get into and be successful doing it, which we did. And it wasn't really until I met a nonprofit called the Global Orphan Project that, you know, we really learned a lot about the orphan cycle of abandonment and the fact that like, hey, we started out going to areas of the world that had orphans and we started like everyone else creating orphanages and then we really realized that wait a minute like 80 percent of the orphans in a lot of these areas are not orphans they just are economic they're not true orphans they're economic orphans they have people that can take care of them they just don't have the means to do that so so people actually give up their kids to an orphanage because they can't provide for them and i never knew that not knowing that i mean my family you know was 
religious and you know you see these things in church growing up like okay let's give money and you see these commercials and it's always from that side and and so you're i even went on a couple mission trips in high school to orphanages and didn't realize that and so realizing that they started to, to try to create a platform that could create jobs that could create a an economy around a community to not have to give the kids up or implant better knowledge for the next generation to do things differently. And so, you know, through schooling and then through job creation, they changed their purpose from global, you know, orphan care to orphan prevention. And one of the things they started to do in Haiti specifically was make garments. And it was actually very interesting story that they got into that side of it, but they started making garments. They started doing it in a way that paid what they call living wages or responsible wages, which was at that time about five times of what a normal garment worker would make. And then they also started a school to teach this trade to kids that were coming through this orphan system. And they asked me, they asked me like five times to go to Haiti and, and never had the time or really the, the desire to do that. And they actually ended up becoming a customer of ours on one of our businesses that sells high-end automatic equipment called Rock. And that equipment uh, was a very expensive purchase for them. They had a living wage, like not orphan prevention, but they t- took uh, criminals and took kind of rehabilitated criminals and homeless in Kansas City as part of one of their missions. And so as part of that, they did a screen printing business there. So they would make the shirts in Haiti and then they would print them in Kansas City. And I basically made a bet with them that say, hey, if you invest this in us, I'll invest this in you. And that investment for me was- So you're still keeping it kind of arm's length. You're like, you know, playing, you know, playing at it a little bit. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, And I think that, yeah, they were the ones that made the first investment. And so- Having that reason, really, things always work out for for a reason. And going to Haiti for the first time, I ended up taking my wife and my two oldest kids, who were at the time, they were five. And just seeing the privilege that my kids have and the opportunities that they have versus the, the future generation that was being raised in these orphanages in Haiti or these group care facilities in Haiti, and then seeing the fact that they could go to a trade school and that literally we could create something through our industry, through our hundreds of thousands of customers that were already printing shirts that could affect lives and they could give them opportunities that my kids just got for granted being an American citizen and being raised in Washington state. And so it was like, that was, that was the catalyst and all those seeds that led, you know, from my brother to, you know, being an entrepreneur to being in this industry all happened in a way to want to start all made or an apparel company. Isn't it funny when you, when you look back at your entrepreneurial journey, all of these markers along the way inform where you end up, but you only get the benefit of hindsight later on and you go, oh my gosh, of course this all makes sense. But I also know that all made is a coalition of printers and you brought together partners in the industry. How did that come about? It's an interesting sort of collaborative model. Yeah, it was. So Haiti is a very, you know, was probably the, I think is one of the, the hardest or the, the worst slave importers in, you know, the Americas. And there, there was French owned and they, they literally imported and the average life of a slave there was like, less than two years. Very, very bad. And so being there and understanding that side and, and then like 
researching, there's two, two things that really came out of that experience is a, the, the coalition of the abolition of slavery was founded ironically in a print shop in England. And there was 12 founding members of that. And then the global orphan project. And also with my background in religion, the Bible, you know, the Global Orphan Project is a religious organization and then the, the idea of 12 apostles that, you know, basically spread this message, you know. And so it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Like one of the things that was really hard for me to get over starting a business is like, how are we going to do it? You know, and taking that whole burden on yourself is like really the, the barrier of doing that. Then having the and having the reason to do that in, in Haiti being there, like I'm going to do it, but how? And then figuring out, wait, what if I just found 12, customers that would do this with me and they they could become our first customers they would buy the first lots of shirts that came off the line and then that started a different business model that I've never seen before and not even very many times since of like starting a business with your customers it was it was really interesting and it was a big feat we invested in first of all finding them you know creating a pitch deck giving the story and then going around throughout the country, I wanted a very diverse group of printers that that were some men-owned, female-owned, uh, you know, LGBTQ, you know. So it's like the whole breadth of this industry that we're in from different lenses, so that we'd have a diverse group of people that could give us a different DNA. And so finding those, and then getting all of them to come to Haiti for the first time was kind of the first challenge. And that took about four months to put together. We all ended up going to Haiti at the, the end of 2016 in what a lot of them will call like the real world Haiti for screen printers. It was a, it was crazy, right. it, you know, cause taking everyone outside their comfort zone, first of all, and then into a place and trying to put this together. It's so special how it all worked out. And let me ask you about that. Uh, before I come to the fibers and how you make a better t-shirt, what is that factory experience like? Is it your factory? Do you share it with someone else? And how do you address those human rights abuses that you talked about before? How do you make the experience for those workers that much better? Well, we are all very experimental. I mean, experiential. So what is, there's a concept in lean manufacturing called go to the Gimba, and that means go to the source. And there's so many people that start just a apparel company and they just go to a broker and they buy this apparel that's made in some factory they don't even know, you know, and it's coming from fibers that they don't even know. So the first thing that we did was we went to the source. We went to the source of our fiber, the cotton fields in Texas. We went to the source of our recycled plastic in the Carolinas. We went to the source of where our fiber was, you know, turned into yarn in the Carolinas at Parkdale and and the, the dye houses in the Carolinas and how much energy did they use? Were we using eco-friendly dyes? Were they using eco-friendly dyes? Did they care? You know, and then we went to Haiti and we did that over the course of about 10 trips over the course of two, the first two years of all made, we took about 10 trips throughout our supply chain to really know more about it. And then by knowing more about it, experiencing it, we're like, okay, well, we could invest in this factory or we could invest in this supply chain of yarn or this supply chain of recycled plastic because we know we've been there. You know, We know how people are treated. And it was not just in Haiti that we wanted to make sure we had good jobs. We wanted to make sure we had good jobs in the US too. So we basically started our supply chain in the US and in Haiti. We wanted a fairly close supply chain so that we could get fabric made in the US, support US jobs, and then fabric, you know, get the fabric down to Haiti for cut and sew and then back here. 
But as far as factories go, you can tell when a factory is good, first of all, just by how clean it is. And that goes for screen printers too. You know, this, the best screen printing factories, the ones that have the most profitability and have the best culture and the longest retention of employees are the ones that are the cleanest. And so the clean, cleanliness, how people are treated inside, how safe it is, uh, and then what kind of certificates are they signing up for, you know, are they doing the bare minimum just to get by, you know, or are they actually going and getting certified above and beyond with a fair trade organization or with, uh, you know, Better Work or some of the other organizations that are investing, they're nonprofits that are investing in making sure that people have good supply chains. So that that's what the things that we, the, the number one thing is going there. And then since then, we've expanded our supply chain. We're in Honduras now. Uh, we're in we don't manufacture in Haiti because Haiti's been a very hard place to do business in over the last two years through the pandemic um, and with the government instability they have there. But we're still involved there. We still are very involved in the community. We help people that we knew there from security guards to kids that we met at the schools and the orphanages. Uh, and then we'd love to manufacture there again someday as well. And then still support the life factory that we're there through other other areas of business. Uh, and then we're also manufacturing in India as well. So we've expanded our supply chain, but that's kind of the thing is go there, make sure it's good. And then, and then follow that goodness up with how are they being responsible from a cert certified uh, perspective. Let's get back to that P&L that you talked about with Ryanet. You know, th th this is where the rubber hits the road. Is there a business in it? So Talk to me about the type of T-shirts you made. I don't know what cotton, polyester, you know, you've got these different blends to make a better T-shirt, but also is it competitive from a price point of view? And does the difference you're making in people's lives in the supply chain translate to value to the business and its bottom line? Yeah. So when we started in 2016, very commoditized, very price driven and a shirt that was comparable to the shirt. So we started making a couple t-shirts. We, we wanted to make a cotton shirt. We wanted to make a blend shirt. And we ended up wanting to make a tri-blend shirt because a tri-blend uses three fibers. It uses a tensile or a cellulose fiber, which is moisture wicking. Uh, it uses a polyester fiber and it uses a cotton fiber. And they typically sell for more. So we knew it was going to cost us more anyway. So we may as well play in a higher field. And then we wanted a cotton shirt because everyone uses cotton shirts. And we wanted to make high-end quality garments so we didn't start out 100% sustainable fibers. We used, we used just U.S. cotton, uh, which is done in a more responsible way if it's farmed in the U.S. because our EPA you know, parameters, but it wasn't organic uh, at the beginning. And then we did an organic cotton that we used in our Tribalin shirt. Uh, so our Tribalin shirt was eco-friendly. It was made from organic cotton. It was made from a cellulose fiber called modal, which is a tree fiber. Trees, if you think about the supply chain of how things grow. Cotton needs a lot of water. It needs a lot of cultivation. Trees pretty much just grow. You know, they're, they're pretty resilient. So uses about 6% of the environmental resource base by using a modal tree fiber versus using a cotton fiber. And then we used a recycled polyester versus a just a, um, a virgin polyester. And so that was a sustainable shirt. We launched with two shirts. The sustainable shirt went like this. People wanted it. They paid more for it. The non-sustainable shirt we discontinued in about six months just because it wasn't different enough. You know, when like back to that thing, it's like you have to have a different way of talking to people and you have to have a different way of selling to people. And so trying to compete in a bloody market that wasn't any different, you know, yeah, we had this human story, but we didn't have that that environmental story. And 
that became that decision became a part of our DNA after that point in time. It's interesting, you're doing this from a purpose point of view and something very personal, but the market forces were rising to meet you. What we're noticing at WeFirst is that the economies of scale are there now where you can compete with these larger commodity alternatives, but increasingly, especially with younger demographics, they want to buy from companies that are doing good. They want to work for investing companies doing good. So, you know, those companies on the right side of history are being pushed forward. I was also fascinated by the way you tell that story because a lot of purposeful companies, they do all the right things, but then how do they unlock the ROI of doing that, that return on investment? And I know you do QR codes and your labels, you've got cards that go in with your products. Tell us about how you bring the impact to life when people buy your product, whether it's a customer or whether it's a consumer, so that you can get that return. If an environmental product does not have a good story behind it, and then it doesn't have a way to tell that story, on a kind of instantaneous level, it's really hard to make that additional investment again and again and again. And so people buy off convenience typically. And so if you're not really creating a way for people to understand the impact of that convenience, then, and that's where kind of the feel your impact came from, which is our tagline. It's like, how do you really understand that impact? And that really came from, we were working with an environmental club at a university, a large university in the Northeast. Not gonna say the name. And they were looking at several hundred of our shirts through one of our customers who was a screen printer. And they decided to go with an alternative brand, also not going to say the name, that was literally the worst shirt you could buy. I mean, it's like they didn't care about the supply chain of people. They didn't care about the the fibers that were made of. It's like the cheapest shirt. And so I was like mind blown because, I, you know, we like to highlight some of our prestigious customers. This would have been a prestigious customer that we could highlight and tell the story of, helping other people kind of to sway that direction. And he's like, yeah, they just went with the cheapest option. Like, do they understand? Do I understand the impact of this? Like, right. right. I wish I, I oh, wait a minute, let's do the math. Let's figure this out. So we kind of got a bunch of spreadsheets out and we started doing a bunch of research of why we chose these fibers, which he had. We had the water savings. We had the chemical savings. We had the labor, you know, the labor supply chain savings. And so, or, or adding to people's lives. And so we did the math on that. We came up with six areas of impact. Uh, five, five environmental, one humanitarian. And then we presented it to them. And it was insane. Like this one order, you can go to allmade.com slash impact or click on the impact button of allmade.com and you can do the math yourself. You like pull, plug in 200 shirts and it's like thousands, tens of thousands of gallons of water, just a couple hundred shirts saves. And that's just one of the impact factors. And so seeing that was like, and I was kind of joking with them, like for a commercial, what we should do is we should just take all this plastic and all this water and all these, all this oil and all these chemicals. I think this order saved 54 gallons of chemicals. Like, like let's take 54 gallons of Roundup and like just dump it on their front lawn. Like if they say no, this is the impact of sure. going with a cheaper, cheaper shirt. And luckily we didn't have to do that. Once they saw that, they're like, oh my goodness, we're the environmental club. You know, we have to go this better way. But they didn't understand that. So I think that was a huge connection point in our story of success to this day of that impact calculator and seeing the impact of a purchase and really realizing, oh, that one decision can either save all this or spend and use all this. That just one Absolutely. decision. I mean, I think that the big missing piece of the puzzle for so long has just been the education piece. Consumers, customers couldn't make an informed decision because they didn't know the carbon footprint, the chemicals, the, the cost of what they were buying, the true cost, not only bottom line, but also 
to the environment, to our future and so on. And now we're getting those tools in people's hands and they're making very, very different decisions simply because they know. So one of the great opportunities for brands, I think today, is really to level up the understanding of all stakeholders in their community so that everyone can disrupt the industry but on the strength of their shared knowledge. And I know you have larger ambitions to disrupt the apparel industry and its supply chain all the way down through tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four. Like what's the broader ambition? What's the, the bold ambition you want to see for All Made in the next 10 years? We'd love for All Made to continue to be a, a brand name and be used by influencers that are telling this story. So we don't want to be the number one shirt out there. We know that we're probably never going to be the number one shirt out there, but we want the people that are important in those decisions to be using it, to use it as a platform to influence other brands to do better. And so the rising tide lifts all ships and we're not going to make every shirt out there. But if we can be a voice to influence other people to make better shirts, and then by doing that, and COVID has actually been really good for our industry. It was really, really bad for our industry for like three months, six months, horrible. You know, we dropped 80% because all the events got canceled and schools got canceled. But it, coming out of that, it changed the supply chain model. And we've seen a lot of inflation in garments. And that has allowed us to re-level the expectation of where we're paying. And so looking at releasing a new fabric, it's like, should we release this shirt for $4 or $5, you know, at a wholesale level? And wait a minute, we could release it for $4 and still be profitable. But if we release it for $5, there's going to be less pressure on us to negotiate with our factory. And when they need a raise, we're going to have the money to give them the raise, or we're just going to proactively give them the raise to keep them happy and more productive. And that's the thing is like, if you add value into an industry, and if you sell about a product that has value into it, you're not taking, you're adding value throughout your entire supply chain, right. you know, and you're not taking people. If you're taking the person that negotiates the worst of everything ends up, they get shorted at the end of the uh, end of the day too, because they're people care less about the product they make because they're getting haggled with, you know, to make it. And so let's not do that. Let's add value throughout the entire thing. And that's actually shifted, shifted a lot. We were literally 50% more than competitive products. Now we're within 10 to 20% more than competitive products, uh, the environmental responsible solution. And so when that competitive product goes to make their next shirt, their next season, they're going to look at it and say, hey, wait a minute, we have this brand out here that is only selling for 10 to 15% more than us, but they're using sustainable materials. Like maybe we should do that. Yeah, you know, and, the, and the market forces are there now and they're building momentum. And the more companies do it, the more companies lead with we, the more companies lean into these purposeful practices, the more it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It builds mm. and it, it rewards companies. I mean, part of all of this, and you know, clearly you, you believe this as well, you've got to leverage partnerships to scale your impact. The partnership you formed with the other you know, printers in the first place through to, I know you've got large apparel customers and, and people you work with like Sanmar, like how, help us understand how the partnership component has helped you scale your business. Well, that was part of the DNA from the beginning, but wasn't part of the DNA always because we kind of formed a click almost with these founders of like, hey, this is us, this is ours, we're going to do it ourselves. It's us against the world, you know, screw those other taking guys. Taking it on, they're the taking big, it on, yeah. They're, they're the big bad guys, you know, in fact, some of our marketing even called call them out. And so going to 
market with it and realizing how expensive it was and the P&L impact that it really had, it was, we knew that there's no way that we could scale it. And we came very close a few times to not even making it. And fortunately, through the course of circumstance, we were able to do enough and have enough and be able to pull enough strings. And the Ryanet company that started it invested an incredible amount, put a lot of its own growth and a lot of its own investments aside to invest in this all-made company and this side of the business, which was much smaller than our other company. And so, so the only way we could grow forth is to, to, to scale. And there's only one way to, two ways to do that. You could either, I mean, three ways. You could sell your company, you could get investment, or you could create partnerships. And selling the company takes your story and gives it to somebody else, gives it to the, the hands of somebody else. Getting investment really dictates how you write your story moving forward. And if you don't have a super profitable cash flow rich company in the first place, even if we went to impact investing, we always had interest. We always got to the third round, the fourth round. And at the end of the day, cash flow is king and profit is king. And so if you're not making enough of that, you don't have enough of even impact investing to, to do it at a big scale. We got small impact investments, but not big scale investments. And so part, so the partnership idea was formed when we were actually offered to get bought, you know, by, by one of the companies. And we were like, oh man, not, not going to sell this, you know, this is our thing. And then it turned into like, wait a minute, could our, could we, you know, the theme of the podcast, could we do this together? Could we make a bigger thing together? We could take the good parts of over here, the good parts of over here and mesh them together, create something bigger. And that's the route that we were fortunate enough to be able to do. So creating a partnership that manufactured and distributed our product through Sanmar, which is a you know billion dollar company that happens to be in our state that was already doing a lot of the things that we were doing from the humanitarian perspective and the, the clean energy perspective uh, that we didn't have the capital to do either. So, you know, their factories in Honduras that they manufacture it use all green energy and they're creating energy from, and they're recycling all this. In fact, our next shirt coming up is made from 100% recycled t-shirt scraps. And so they're taking the, the stuff that is already there, whether it be, you know, t-shirt scrap waste or using solar energy or using uh, biofuel energy to power the factories versus use literally our factories that when we started out were running on diesel generators you know they were paying people great and we were making responsible product from a fiber perspective but we were putting co2 in the atmosphere as we made it so we did because we didn't have the money to invest in solar and so kind of combining all those things together allowed us to to have an even better impact than we had you know starting out and it's been from from a sales perspective and a channel perspective, back to that, you know, making sure that you have a way to talk to people and you have a way to sell to people, uh, that really brought in the way to sell to people. And it, it empowered the way we talk to people too. So it was great. You know, it's so important what you said there, because every opportunity comes at a cost, whether you sell the company, whether you get impact investing, or whether you leverage partnerships, as you say. And one of the most powerful aspects about Lead With We is that it forces you to pre-qualify those partners and find those shared values and those people who prioritize the same things. And then the efficiencies are there to take your product to market. Ryan, I gotta say, thank you so much for sharing your entrepreneurial story and you know, the personal component and for the leadership you've, so, you know, you've shown in terms of building a new business model, rallying this coalition of printers, and then constantly sort of leveling up the game so that you can take a better product to market and make everyone feel like by buying your product, they're actually making a difference, not just doing less harm, but doing more good. 
So thanks for your insights and uh, here's to more success for all made. Thank you so much for having the platform to talk about this and telling these stories. They're inspiring for us. You know, even as you're going through this, you get you have days that are hard and you have days that, you know, you think about doing other things, but hearing other people's stories through these this channel and through other channels like it really keep that fire lit. And so one of our values at All Made is bring the fire and you're helping to stoke a lot more fires throughout the world. Positive ones, though. I was going to ask you one piece of advice for social entrepreneurs aren't there, but out there, but it might be uh, bring the fire, right? Bring the fire. And I think those partnerships and not being too proud, a lot of entrepreneurs put everything on their shoulder, you know? And so social entrepreneurship allows you to do that differently. And one of the great pieces of advice that I got through actually the CEO of the, non- the nonprofit Global Orphan Project is... Tell your story to as many people, like, put, like literally put your story, try to, try to make your mission one to two sentences and put it in the bottom of your email signature. Why are you doing this? And it, tell it to everyone that you can because you never know who, whose ear that's going to catch and who, what partnership door that opens up. So don't, don't think that you have to do it all yourself, but also don't keep it all to yourself. Proudly tell your story. Awesome. Thank you for the advice and also for the leadership. And uh, we'll be following with interest what happens next with Allmet. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Lead with We. You can find out more information about today's guest, Ryan Moore, in the description below. And if you enjoyed today's episode, give it a thumbs up and make sure you subscribe to this channel. Lead with We is produced by Goal 17 Media, and you can listen to all the episodes on Apple, Google, or Spotify. And if you'd like to take a deeper dive into the world of purpose for business, check out my new book, Lead with We, that's now available on Amazon, Google Books, and Barnes & Noble. See you on the next episode. And until then, let's all lead with we.